Wow, good afternoon, Citizens Church. Wow, look at you. What a beautiful church. You guys got a great pastor, huh? Wow, seriously, I'm so excited to be here. I have with me my husband, Cliff, my friend, Rochelle. And yes, we are excited to be in downtown LA at Citizens Church. Awesome. <laughs> I see a lot of young people here. And wow, I am just excited to bring you the Word of God. Are you excited? Awesome. Shall we pray? All right. Father, we just thank you for this beautiful afternoon just to soak in your Word. And God, we just pray that even as I bring the Word of God to everyone seated here, that your Holy Spirit would just minister to each of us. Show us where we are running away from you and draw us undeniably back to your heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, before I begin, I just want to give you a little introduction about who I am and what my family looks like. Is that okay? Okay, so this is my family up here. That's my husband, Cliff. <laughs> Cliff is a liver transplant survivor. He had liver cancer before, and then after that, he went on to do an Ironman. That's a four-kilometer swim, 180-kilometer bike ride, followed by a full marathon after that. And after I saw that, wow, he'd overcome cancer, he'd done all that, I thought to myself, okay, if this guy can endure all of that, he can endure a lifelong marriage to me. <laughs> so he's got that tick box checked. Um, the two little girls are my sweethearts. They are Sarah Faith, who just turned seven, and Esther Praise, who is four and a half years old. They're back in Singapore waiting for mommy to get back to them. Yeah. So that's my family. And it's very surreal for me to be standing here in downtown LA because right at this point in time, our whole family was supposed to be relocated to Tanzania in Africa. So last year, by Christmas time, my original plan was for all of us to have uprooted, moved homes, and we would be living in this little town in Tanzania as missionaries. But through a series of unfortunate events and mishaps and circumventing detours, we didn't make it there. God wrecked our plans. And so today, when Jason showed you the book Dream Brave, which you'll see on the slide, yes, I am here in the States on a book tour, but not like how people imagined it. It's not like, whoa, she's an author, a publisher arranged a book tour. No, 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 no. <laughs> my plan was to go do missions in Tanzania, and I thought, you know what? That's my idea of how I want to serve God that glorified way of me serving God. Don't we want to strive and work a little hard to serve God? Don't we like that? But God wrecked my plans. And so it, I'm here now in the States with you guys. Isn't that great? And I thought to myself, you know what, God, if you open the doors, like I told him, I said, from the 2nd of February, so the book was, was released on, on like the 31st of January. I told God on the 2nd of February to the 21st, I'll do anything you want me to do in the States. I'm just going to avail myself for you. I know nobody. I, I don't know churches that would want me to speak at. 
but I'm just going to avail myself for you. And within the week, I got an invitation from Christine Kane's team who asks me to join a conference. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And it falls right in that time window, six to eight. And like the good old Asian girl I am, I tell God, maximize my time here while I'm in the States. The weekend before and the weekend after, make it count. And the weekend before, after I say yes to God, two invitations open up, all in California. And I have this one last weekend here. And I ask myself, what am I going to do, Lord? I'm not going to... So a friend of mine from Singapore who knows Jason actually told me, why don't you write to citizens? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to look desperate and write to churches to invite me, like seriously. So I'm like, no, not going to do it. But the time creeps closer and closer and closer, and that weekend is free. I told myself, you know what? I'm just going to come and visit the great citizens' church. Right? And then one day, this sense from the Holy Spirit overcomes me. And I grudgingly write to Jason. And I tell him about myself, and I just avail myself to him. And the crazy thing is, Jason and his team already blocked out this weekend for me because a pastor from Australia that I didn't even know had written to him to say, this girl is coming to California, you got to have her speak. Isn't that nuts? That's God. Friends, you see, that's, that's the message. Jonah wants life to go one way. He thinks he's got it all under control. And we don't know until we bring ourselves to God that He actually wants us to go another way. And it's so much better. Don't you want that? Amen? Amen. Wow. I'm excited. <laughs> Should we get straight into Jonah? Yeah? All right. Let's read Jonah together, all right? Now, Jonah 1 verses 1 to 5. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joba, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And then they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down, and he fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country from? What people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. 
The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea come down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. <laughs> but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord. Have done as you pleased. Wow. Let's just finish this part. It's so good. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. Pew! And the raising sea grew calm. At this, the man greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord hmm, provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Wow, what a story! Isn't that quite a story? Can you see that played out in like Hollywood glamour? Like, what a script, seriously. Now, before I get into the meat of Jonah, can I share with you a little bit of my background and how, how I'm made, like, where my context is? Is that okay? All right. So, once upon a time, I was 17 years old, believe it or not. I was there, seated where you are, and I had just received the Lord. And at that time, I remember I was asking the Lord one, one question. Lord, what am I made for? What do you want me to do? Make my life count. I want to be significant. I want to matter. I want to count for something. And at that time, I had no idea. So I just prayed this really silly prayer to the Lord. And I just said, God, just use me. And I wanted to go to Nepal for six weeks to live in a children's home. Just to see what I could do. Just to see how God could change my life. And guess what? My very Asian, very good Asian father said, no! Of course he said no. This is great. At that time, now Nepal was having the Maoist uprising. They were burning flags. There were power cuts. Things were unstable. It was a disaster. And for me to ask my dad that question was just out of the question. And I told God, I said, God, you are a miracle working God. If you are real, I was still doubting if God was real at that time. If you are real, you can move my father's heart. Can't you? So I pray every night on my knees. I don't even know how to pray, actually. I just say, God, you got to do something if you want me there. Show me that you're real. And then what happens is that my, my father comes home from work one day. This is after weeks and weeks of asking, Dad, can I go? No. Dad, can I go? No. Dad, can I go? No. And one day I come back home and he has this look of utter bewilderment on his face. And he says, Yeah, you won't believe this. I have a company of five staff and one of them has just told me that he knows a Singaporean missionary to Nepal who's coming back for two weeks and she wants to have dim sum with me because she wants to convince me to let you go and she'll look after you. And they meet and I tell you dim sum is a very powerful thing. <laughs> it bonds you like, mm-mm. My dad said, yes! So I went there and I lived with these beautiful girls that you'll see on screen. And those beautiful girls just wrecked my life. I spent time with them. Unfortunately, halfway through our stay, 
we were asked to leave. The landlord evicted us, and soon I realised that this happened year after year after year. And you know, in the States, some of you have moved, haven't you? Right? And, and when you move, you just call the movers and they move for you, but not here. Over there, every single girl, the little, little girl named Joy, three years old, she was carrying her, her underwear and her socks and everybody was dismantling their beds and taking down the furniture. We all had to move. It was a disaster. Everything was taken apart. And I stood there in the middle of the porch, that garden porch of that house, and I told myself, God, if you are real, how can this happen? And if you are real, would you use someone like me to make a little difference? I remember leaving that place, remembering the shattering that had happened around me. And when I got dropped off at the airport by the missionary house parents, I asked them, is there anything at all that I can do? And they said, yes, we would love a permanent home. And as I flew back, this download just came from the Lord and it was, it was these beautiful paintings and a girl with a kite who lost it and found it. And I told the Lord, Lord, use me in the most remarkable way. Would you use me, a broken, awkward, depressed teenager? I got back to Singapore, I started to paint, I started to write. I had this idea that if I published a picture book and raised funds, maybe we could purchase a permanent home for the kids. And guess what? Everybody said, you're crazy. Like seriously, get into medical school first, get a degree, get some credentials, girl. But I continued to paint and I brought all my painting to a, to a publisher. And he looked at it and he said, you know what, I'm going to sponsor 2,000 copies of this to raise funds. But I got to tell you something. Your paintings are really bad. <laughs> oh my goodness. I said, all right, I'll teach myself. I went to the library. I started teaching myself on the aisles of the National Library. And, and so in the next three months, Kite Song was published. You'll see the book up there. And in the following three months, over $100,000 was raised to purchase this home that you see with the girls. And if God could use a 17-year-old girl who was broken and depressed and awkward, how much more can He use you? Citizens Church, how much more can He use you? <laughs> And in the next picture, you'll see the girls who have grown up. <laughs> they promised that if I ever got married, I had to bring my husband over. <sighs> so I would visit them every few years. And one day, Cliff came along. And in the next picture, you'll see two pictures of the girls seated in nearly the same positions, but 10 years apart. Friends, this wrecks me. <laughs> it wrecks me because... All we need is a little dream and a little bit of faith to put in the hands of a big God. And He can grow it in ways beyond our imaginings. Amen? Amen. 
Friends, but you see, this experience, fortunately or unfortunately, it defined my life. I grew up in my Christian walk thinking, you know what? If I got a dream, I just put it in God's hands, I just water it, a little bit of faith, and boom, it just booms. And I thought to myself, you know what? This is great. But what I didn't know was that for so many years of my life, I had made little gods of the things that I was pursuing, whether it was work, ministry or the dreams I was chasing for God. You see, so what I didn't tell you was that I was supposed to be in Tanzania last Christmas. Those, those are my plans, right? But in September last year, I found myself in the intensive care unit of the hospital with things beeping all around me and wondering, Lord, what did I do to deserve this? You see, sometime last year, I had a very strange pain in my triceps, you know, over here on my right hand. It was a very strange pain. And I thought to myself, you know what, if I rested, it would go away. You see, back then, you, I might not look it now, but back then, I was like a gym buff, okay? Every morning at 5.50 a.m., I would be down at the gym, working out with my friends, you know? I was telling God, like, whoa, I'm self-disciplined. I'm going to be fit for you in the mission field. And guess what? I'm preaching to all these people who need you. It's a great way to evangelize, eh? Right? I made up all these excuses and I thought to myself, you know what? I, I'm doing the right thing. But this pain kept niggling. I kept resting. I even went to Tanzania. I came back to a triathlon with my husband. Came back. All was fine and dandy. Until one day, the pain was unbearable. First, I had trouble working out. Then, I had trouble cooking. And then, I had trouble typing. I had trouble even looking on my phone and answering text messages. And that's when I knew, Lord, I gotta get help. I went to see a doctor friend of mine. He did an MRI and I was just praying, you know, oh God, I pray by your miracle, the MRI is gonna be okay. <laughs> but I got the results. And I stood there shaking, because I knew what it meant. I read, the, I read the report. And the next day when I went to see the neurosurgeon, he said, how could you have lived with this pain for so long? You see, what he needed to do was to cut a slit in my neck. And I have a scar there that's about three to four inches wide. And they removed a part of my spine through parting my trachea and the main artery down to my heart. They took out part of my spine and they put in titanium. And as I was lying there in hospital, I asked the Lord, where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? And I thought to myself, I told the neurosurgeon, I said, I'm going to be back on my feet. I, surely I can go to Tanzania. And he was like, what? You're still thinking about that? Don't you want to get well first, rehabilitate, things like that? And I was like, no, I'm all ready to go. And you know, the doctor was so kind. He connected me with other patients, thinking that it would encourage me. But I wasn't encouraged because I struggled with the pain post-surgery weeks and weeks after that. And all the patients I met, they were like, whoa, the next day after surgery, they were back on their feet. They were back to work. They didn't even need physio. 
And there I was struggling with physiotherapy like three times a week, struggling with the pain all day, wondering if it would go out, if I would have to live with chronic pain for the rest of my life, which is what happens to a small percentage of patients. But friends, guess what? Through that pain, God spoke to me. In my storm, God spoke to me. And he said, Waijia, I want you to know that it was fully within my intention. Whoa, 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 whoa. You are telling me that God brought this suffering on you? Seriously? Look, I'm not a suffering theology preacher, but I know this, that no matter what your pain and what storms that God has brought you through in your life, God is above that. And I want to invite you to consider this today, that when God sent a storm in Jonah's life. When God sends a storm in your lives, you think to yourself, God, where are you in my storm? And I want to propose this, that God is in the storm. He's through the storm. He created the storm because he loves us. Because it was during that storm in my life. Oh, I see a lot of uncomfortable shifting now. <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> it was during that pain, the weeks and weeks after my surgery, when I sat down and I still had difficulty typing, couldn't go on social media. I was asking the Lord, what are you trying to tell me? And he pointed out three areas of my life that I was struggling with. You see, God was releasing the stronghold that my work and my ministry and social media had on me. There was the typing that I couldn't do, remember? And then the cooking. God was showing me my identity as a mom and a wife and what a stronghold it had over me. I just felt so responsible for everything. And the last bit, my exercise. You know, it was symbolic and reflective of the kind of self-image I always wanted people to see. Guys, hidden under the guise of self-discipline. Friends I shared in the first service, you know, I'm embarrassed to say, I was working on a six-pack that nobody else but my husband would see, and he doesn't even care. Seriously. But friends, what is the six-pack that you're working on in your life? Things that you need to feel good with? that you need to build your life upon and have people admire you for, but have absolutely no eternal significance. Oh, Lord, speak to us. You see, those were the idols in my life. And friends, if we keep thinking that, oh, Jonah is just a story about disobedience, you'll never connect with this because we, we never think of ourselves as disobedient. Especially if you're coming here on a Sunday afternoon. You don't think of yourself as being disobedient, but if you look at the story of Jonah about a man who's running from God and God chasing him and pursuing him, then maybe you can relate to that. Because friend, unless, unless we realize that we are running from God, we will never be able to run to God. Amen? Unless you realize that you are running, you are running from God you will never be able to find him. Amen? Amen.
I want to read on. Is that okay? Is that okay? So in the fish, let's go to Jonah 2 now. Jonah 2. Now from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Hmm. Verse 8. This is the punchline, friends. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Ah. Friends, until Jonah recognized that there were idols in his life, he was stuck in the belly of the fish. Do you see that? He was stuck there. And I wish I could tell you like, wow, after such an earth-shattering thing that happened to me, having sudden spine surgery, going to the ICU, coming out, and like having to rehabilitate for 12 weeks, you would think that I would have turned my life around, wouldn't you? I'm sorry to say, as soon as I got better, I just got right back into my old life. Yeah, I did. Some of you are smiling at me. I'm so sorry to say. You know, you know when preachers come out here, it's so nice to preach from a position of strength. But is it okay if I preach to you from a position of weakness today? Is that okay? Because when I went through all that, I thought to myself, okay, God, I, I, I'm doing this here, right? Everything is extreme. It's CrossFit. It's like ministry. It's like everything. And now... Now I'm down to here. Isn't that good? It's like moderate, right? But guess what? 12 weeks after I had recovered from spine surgery, now 12 weeks is a golden milestone. It's like when in physiotherapy, 12 weeks is the week you actually go back and resume normal activities. And I was looking forward to it. I was so excited. I was crossing it out week by week. My physiotherapist was like, you know, happy two-week anniversary from your surgery. She's so cute. And when it was 12 weeks, we were so excited. We were going back to jogging, you know. We, 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 we were entering that phase of... And on that day, down to the very day, 12 weeks post-spine surgery, I go for the physiotherapy and she accidentally injures my left knee. And when I go and check it out with another MRI... I find out that she has torn my left knee meniscus. Okay, you guys are reacting a lot more because you understand sports injuries. I feel it, you're a young crowd. The first service kind of like, hmm, okay. But you guys understand, yeah, the meniscus. Ah, thank you, you feel me. I went to a surgeon. I said, what do I do? And he says, you got to go for surgery. I'm like, oh my goodness, crutches for six weeks, seriously? Like, I mean, at least with the spine operation, I could still do stuff for my girls and my husband, but this is going to like immobilize me, right? So I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to go to a second surgeon, get a second opinion. And the second surgeon said the exact same thing. You need surgery, girl. And I'm like, God, you are horrible. I'm like, seriously, like this wasn't bad enough, like 12, what is happening, God? Now that's when I really felt I was like in the eye of the storm. You understand? It was like the eye of the storm, like, I just don't get it, God. 
But I knew, I knew, because it was so precise, it was like 12 weeks down to the day, I knew that God's hand was in it. I, I like this uncle here. He's like, yeah, yeah, he's got wisdom, you know? You've got wisdom. You feel me? Thank you. You feel me? Yeah, yeah, you know, God is just so precise, right? Sometimes you just know it's God. There's wisdom from that man right there. Go talk to him after the service, okay? And I'm like, God, you're doing something. And while I am recovering from my knee thing, I tell myself, God, you know, I want to just trust you. I, I know you're speaking to me. So before I rush into surgery, I'm going to just rehabilitate. I'm going to steal myself in you. Because guess what? When I had the spine surgery, I was still walking. I was walking like somebody who had never had spine surgery before. You should see me walking at 5.30 a.m. every morning. I'm just walking in the dark by myself with all the senior citizens at the park. I am just there walking, walking my way through. I'm like, God, you are good. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out of this stronger. You know, I'm just walking and walking. And, get, and, and, and you know what's the funny thing is? Jonah had that time in the dark. He had that time in the dark, like the whale, right? And the fish, right? In the belly of the fish, there was darkness. You know that cartoon where there's like the, is it Pinocchio? Somebody lights the candle. And then it's like, and like whew. do you remember the ribs of the whale fish thing? Is it just me? You guys have watched it, okay. So you understand what I mean. It's dark in there. And when I was walking, walking in the dark at 5.30 a.m., I would tell myself, wow, God, you are showing me things that I've never seen before. Because it was through that that I realized God wanted me to come down to ground zero. Friends, God wants a deeper surrender from us today. I had come down from here to here, but I didn't realize that God was demolishing everything that I had held on to. You see, the world always wants bigger, better, and faster. Our world tells us to be responsible, Productive, leave a legacy. Come on, you Asian Americans know this. Right? But do you see those words in the Bible? Do you see those words in the Bible? I don't. In the Bible, God calls us to be faithful and fruitful and obedient. Isn't that true? My African-American brother here, is that true? You know it? Yeah! You see, so few of us realize that we can be productive without ever being fruitful. So many of us don't realize that you can be so responsible without ever being faithful. And so many of us don't realize that you can build and create your own legacy without ever being obedient to the Lord. And until I realized that, friends, I was running in the wrong direction. Let me tell you something. God is more interested in your direction than at the speed that you're going at. I 
was just running back to my old life. It took that knee injury to bring me back to ground zero. Friends, one week ago, I just quit my job as a medical doctor. Four weeks ago, I just closed down the Singapore entity of my international nonprofit. Instead of growing it and applying for charity status like I had thought of doing so, it took the knee injury for me to realize what God wanted me to do was to close it. And I ended up retrenching staff. I felt small, I felt weak, I felt insecure. And that's how you feel when you're in the eye of the storm. But guess what, friends? Your obedience, your obedience is what enables God to get you through the storm. Amen? Amen. For those of you out here, I know I'm speaking to you. You're here in LA. And you're here aching out a dream for yourself. You want to know that you matter. But let me tell you something. Until you surrender and let go of these lesser idols, you will never fulfill the destiny that God has called you to. Amen? Amen. I, wanna, I want us to look at Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, when you think of the word follow, what do you think of? You think of someone just following, right? Following, right? But you know the root word for follow? It means to pursue. It means almost to persecute. It's like with a ferocity. Do you believe that in your storm, that God is pursuing you? That when Jonah lived his life, do you believe that God pursued him with that storm? Because friends, what happens when you get what you want in the wrong direction? You may get what you want, but it would destroy us. And God in His goodness sometimes puts a break in our life. Amen? Yet God is so good. Let's go to Jonah 3, 1-5. And then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. You see, Jonah didn't want to do this. Why? Let me give you the context, okay? Now, God asked Jonah to go preach to Nineveh, right? Now, he hates these people. He hates them because these Assyrians had destroyed his people. So it's like telling God, I don't want to go there. I know better. So he goes in the opposite direction. What is the idol that he's clinging to? It's this sense of self-righteousness. That God, I know, I know what I want to do with my life. Right? And it's patriotism. Is there anything wrong with being a patriot? No, right? Is there anything wrong with wanting to do good? So friends, our idols... They're, they're not like the super bad things, you know, like drinking and drugs and all these things that... There are things that are good. Things like your work, your music, your ministry, your supports. These are things that were good, my friends. 
And somehow along the way, it turned bad. And I'm praying that today God would reveal those lesser idols in our lives. Because look at Jonah. Did you know that until he confessed his idols and that he was in the wrong direction, God couldn't use him in that powerful way in Nineveh? Because you, you look at verses 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And now Nineveh was a very large city. It was a very large city. And Jonah is a little man. It took three days to go through it, and Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Friends, these are like the eight simplest, most impactful sermon ever preached. Because in the next line, it says, the Ninevites believed God. Whoa! I wish I could just come out here and say eight words. <laughs> Do you see how powerful he was? He was so powerful, my friends, because he understood that by laying down all his idols and obeying God, God would open up the way for him. Amen? Following God is hard, but it's also very simple. For me, not going to Tanzania felt awful. But then when God turned my direction and said, for this season, I want you to do Dream Brave. I want you to come to the States. Then the doors opened. Like seriously, a pastor in Australia whom I don't even know connecting me here and me being here and God sending my, a new friend that I met, Rochelle, to come join me here to make sure I survive because I don't even know how to drive. Oh, there was a reaction there. Wow, okay. I feel you judging people. Um, but you see, God understands. And even in our brokenness, even in, you might feel totally inadequate, like I have been feeling. But God enables us when we, when we just go to Him. Can I share one last story with you? Is that okay? Before I close? You know, in the dark, the darkness is a precious time. There's a lot of young people here, so I want to tell you this. There are going to be dark times in your life at some point. And when I think about that fish, Jonah being the fish, I thought about my dark times. Because when I was lying in the hospital, and then when I could walk, and walking through the dark, and then after having my knee injured and not being able to walk in the dark, I just told God, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if you see me. And some of you here today, you are feeling unseen. And I want to speak to you because God sees you. I know there's a family sitting all the way at the back there. And you might be thinking, God, do you see me? I'm like struggling in college. My parents don't understand me. My kids are wayward. I want to tell you this, God sees you. Because when I was feeling unseen, you know how much unforgiveness I had when I realized that this was a physiotherapy-induced injury. Like seriously, I wasn't even trying to be gung-ho about it. I just went for the session and I got injured. And one day while I was walking in town, this is a part of town I never go to, I was just walking there having coffee with a friend I went home and, and this stranger who's not even a believer on Instagram contacts me and she says, I am a lawyer 
from one of the top law firms in Singapore. I don't know why, but I feel led. And she uses God. She says, I feel led by God to reach out to you, to tell you that I want to help you pro bono on your case because you need some compensation. And I'm like, what? Oh, I, I, I didn't know you could claim for this sort of thing. And at that moment, I felt God telling me, the Holy Spirit telling me, I had never experienced God this way, but I felt God saying, in the darkness, I see you. And I, the Holy Spirit, am your advocate. Have you ever experienced God like that before? He sees you and He is your advocate. And in those mornings where I would walk in the dark, I started to get up to walk again, but not so gung-ho. <laughs> I was like hobbling, I was taking it really slow. But you know, you have to like rehabilitate the knee, right? Okay, you guys understand this, right? You cannot let it atrophy and just do nothing. So I walked, but in the dark, I realized that God revealed to me Things I had never seen before. You know, when I had my spine surgery, the amazing thing was that soon after the spine surgery, I would see things that I'd never seen before. Don't worry, I'm not talking about angels and demons. I'm talking about like real things, like animals, like, like, like things you see in the natural. So God speaks to us in different ways, doesn't he? For some of us, it's when you're walking in the woods, in the mountains, the beautiful landscape of LA. For some of you, it's through a text message, through the words that people give to you. For some of you, it's like a rainbow, a physical thing. For some of you, it's seeing a really, really short queue at your favourite boba tea store in Koreatown. And you're like, God loves me so much. Right? right? We have those moments, right? Or a free parking lot. Yeah. God, friends, you laugh, but it's in those moments you really feel like God sees me. Right? Come on. So, for me, it's wild animals. Because you cannot control wild animals. It's just an act of God. You see them or you don't, right? You can sit there and pray that you see like a spider monkey. It's there or it's not. So the days after my spine surgery, when I was so low, so low, my friends, I couldn't even turn my neck. Now, when I'm with my girls, they say, oh, mommy can do a magic trick. She can turn her head. Ooh, <laughs> I would get up and I would see these kolugos in my neighborhood. Do you know what kolugos are? They are these nocturnal flying squirrels. They are very, very ugly. <laughs> so they have eyes like bush babies. You know what bush babies are. They're like bulbous, bulging eyes. And then they have these long, stretched armpit skin from their forearms to their, to, to their legs. And then they go from tree to tree and they go <laughs> like Batman. And I would see them in mid flight. And I would go, wow, God, in the dark? You know, in the dark, your senses are hyper-vigilant because you're so sensitive to what God is doing. And I would see them day after day and I told my husband, Cliff, I'm like, is this like a migration season or something? Because they're like everywhere. And it's like, I hardly see them. And one day, friends, you know before when I was fine and dandy and everything, I used to see a bird, a bird in the park, in the dark. And I would go so close to this bird and it would never fly. 
And I used to think like it was dumb or something. Because like a bird should fly like the moment it sees movement. But it was like this really dumb bird and it was just sitting there. And friends, the whole time, the 12 weeks while I was recovering from spine surgery, I never, never stopped to look at that bird. I told Cliff, do you see that dumb bird at night when you jog? And he's like, yeah, I see that bird, it never moves. I'm like, you got it, it's that dumb bird. But when I injured my knee and I slowed down, one day I saw someone in the dark with a huge camera lens, you know those kind? The one of the many, many, many lenses. And he was looking at it. And I was like, what are you looking at? And he was like, psst, it's a night jar. I'm like, what's that? And I look at the bird and I realize it's a beautiful night jar with like golden speckled dots all over it. And I'm like, God, a treasure in the dark, things I'd never seen before. Friends, when you're going through your dark times, when you have repented, when you've been swallowed up by the wheel, what hidden treasures of darkness is God showing you? Don't waste your storm. Because when you're in the dark, that's the only time you'll get to see these nocturnal creatures of darkness, these gems. And one day, when I was so discouraged, friends, in Singapore, you know, Singapore is an urban jungle just like downtown LA. Okay, it's concrete everywhere. One day I woke up at 5.30. I was so discouraged. I said, God, I need to know that you are seeing me and that you're going to help me through this. I'm so discouraged. I cannot be any lower. I've given up my job. I've given up ministry. For four months, I left the pulpit ministry of my mega church, I'm like, God, you have to sort me out. And I was so low. And guess what? In the distance, in the concrete jungle that Singapore is, I see something walking towards me in the dark. The endangered pangolin. For those of you who don't know, a pangolin is like an armadillo, but Asian-sized. <laughs> and I see it walking towards me, and it's walking, and it's walking, and nobody sees it but me. And I take my iPhone out, and I walk with it for five whole minutes. And I'm like, God, you are speaking to me. You are walking with me. I know it's slow and steady. Come on, Holy Spirit, speak to me right now. Armor of God, yeah. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank, I see that. I, I, I feel you, Lord. You are so close. But friends, I never would have seen that pangolin. I never would have seen that night jar. I never would have seen these flying squirrels if I hadn't been walking in the dark. I would have been in some fluorescent lit, brightly lit gym room with my gym bros. Right? But God brings us down low. So some of you are asking here today, God, where are you in my storm? And I want to tell you the good news. God is in your storm. He is with you through your storm. And guess what? You might not believe it, but He created the storm for you. 
because he's more interested in the direction that you're going in than at the speed of your living. Amen. I want to invite the worship team to come up as I close. I want to invite us into a time of prayer. But before that, I'm going to read Isaiah 43 as well. 45 verse 3. It says, I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. Wow. To those of you here today, you're thinking to yourself, God, did you forget my dream? Did you forget me? And I sense he's just saying, I see you. I didn't forget you. But I'm sending you treasures of darkness. Don't waste your storm. Don't waste your storm. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for reminding us that you love us and our dreams are precious to you. But we confess and we repent that we know no better sometimes and we chase and pursue dreams in our lives that don't matter in the end. And God, I pray that in every storm that you send to every person here, that God, you will help us discover the idols that we're holding on to and say, I don't want these worthless idols. God, I pray that in the pit of the belly of the fish, that you would grant us treasures of darkness. Father, I pray you would reveal to us that we are all Jonas. We are all running away from you. And God, today we acknowledge that we are runners. But your grace draws us back to you. Your goodness pursues us all the days of our lives. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I want to invite us just to stand to our feet. And as we close, I want us just to sing of the amazing goodness of God. Because He loves you. He loves you. And he sees you in the eye of the storm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord.